a heave down the floor. Somebody get Grant Hill and Christian Leitner queued up. <laughs> ben Simmons, the baseball pass. And Smart's got it! And the ball game is over! And Boston is headed to the Eastern Conference Finals! Boston, thanks to Marcus Smart, making plays on both ends of the floor in a deciding game to close out the Philadelphia 76ers. Sekou Smith back here in Atlanta after, whew, what, 11, 12 days on the road? Covering the playoffs. You know, we got a jam-packed show, of course, previewing the conference finals in the Eastern and Western Conference. Rockets and Warriors in the West. Celtics and Cavaliers in the East. My main man, NBA.com's super columnist himself, Sean Powell, in the studio with me. Here, here. John Schumann, finally home, checking in from Jersey. And uh, Greg Anthony be joining us a little bit later. Before we get to the conference finals, though, you heard that call of that last play in the Boston Philly series. John Schumann, you were there. What's your big takeaway from these two teams in that game, that series, and what the future might hold for the Sixers and the Boston Celtics? You know, after the Sixers beat the Heat in five games, I wrote about just the incredible growth spurt that Philly had undergone like over the last two months of the season from, you know, from they were 25 and 25 in early February. And then to go from that to winning 52 games and, you know, 16 in a row to end the regular season and then, you know, dispatching the heat and looking, you know, like a a complete team just on both ends of the floor. You know, I wrote just basically how in two months they went from, you know, just sort of a, 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 a decent team to a really good one and you know with their youth and and with the shooting that they added it was just such an incredible run and then now I'm thinking like and then after last night's game and after Boston you know beating Philly and I feel like Boston's gone undergone an incredible growth spurt themselves especially when you look at their young guys Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and also Terry Rozier you know yeah outstanding even though he's a, a third year player he was, he was never a starter until you know Kyrie Irving got hurt basically and he is and you know I talked to Brad Stevens about it a little bit last night and mm-hmm. he's just saying you know it's it's like it's like a learning curve times three you know everything is just accelerated for us and there's no with these guys, there's no, hey, you know, get a little time as a rookie, get a little bit more time as a second-year player. It's like, hey, you're playing a lot of minutes, and, and this is what we're doing, and here we go, you know, right. that type of thing. With Tatum, you know, I remember the beginning of the season, you know, they would just sort of, they put him in a spot to succeed in that they he wouldn't he wasn't asked to do much um, as far as generating offense. He was the, sort of the guy on the weak side who would benefit from Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and could take advantage of a, a rotating defense, right, and attack, mm-hmm. either shoot with time and space or, or attack a, a against closeouts and stuff. And that's nothing against him because he was really, really good at that. You know, he was he was um, really decisive and aggressive. Fast forward to the conference semifinals, and they're running through running their offense through this guy for large chunks of the second half in multiple games. They had no choice. Um, yeah. He's I mean, the one dude that could get a shot. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 rather incredible. But like to to trust him, I mean, yeah, he can get a shot. But like to just trust him to put the ball in his hand, run and pick and roll, and know that he's going to do something with no make the right decision. You know, the one play that they kept running, which they liked, was just him, um, you know, running like a flare cut, like what they call an Iverson cut, out to the left wing, and then a, a pick and roll where either Al Horford or Marcus Morris would come set the pick and roll on the side, left side of the floor. And they kept running that. There was another game early in the series, I can't remember which one, where they ran that like five times in a row in the second mm-hmm. half. And they were running it again last night in game five. And the one play that I remember is, you know, instead of going with the screen, you know, the, the Sixers were sort of overplaying the screen. And so he went away from the screen, just sort of took a couple dribbles to his left, and Horford slipped to the middle, and he tossed that alley-oop to Horford on, you know, down the stretch. It was a huge, a huge basket for yeah. Boston. And just thinking about like the decision-making and the execution of that play is, is, is advanced stuff, you know, and this kid's just, you know, a, a 20 year old rookie. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. They've done a fantastic job, obviously in Boston, you know, assembling that talent. We got to move along, but I thought Sean Charles Barkley made a great point um, on the inside after the game. And, you know, we know Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid are stars. But Chuck mentioned that the elephant in the room is Markel Fultz. He said, you can't have a number one draft pick sitting on the bench 
you know, in those moments. And obviously they're extenuating circumstances, but do we have any indication that Fultz is going to have a chance to live up to whatever hype he's had or not? I mean, I, I don't feel like we got a, enough of a sample size to know exactly what he is. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, we saw a little bit of it when he came back. Didn't he have a triple-double? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's such a mystery. It's probably a, uh, the, the number two mystery in the NBA after Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. on how this guy, uh, his shot was broken. Yeah. Uh, he just couldn't get off the bench, uh, couldn't make himself important, couldn't impress himself enough with the coaching staff and his teammates where they had to turn to T.J. McConnell. No offense to T.J. McConnell. Right. He had a very good game a couple games ago. But you're right. Markel Fultz was plugged in to be part of this core because he was a combo guard, whereas you needed Ben Simmons on the ball because of his shooting issues. Right. Markel Fultz could handle when he, when he needed to. He could shoot outside. But now you wonder, until we see a, a more of his shot, he can't play off the ball. If he can't play off the ball, he can't fit in the system because right. Ben Simmons is going to have the ball. So, you know, Seku, I think it's, first of all, is he going to play in summer league? Yeah. Now He, he almost has to. Well, you know what? And I, and I know what their thought will be. They don't, want to, not, yeah, they, yeah. they don't want to embarrass him. Right. You know, they don't want to expose him. They don't want his confidence to fall. Because if you have your number one pick out there in Las Vegas and he's getting schooled, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, that's a bad, yes, bad look. it's a bad look. So I think, um, look, the, the kid's going to have to go in the gym. I'm not ready to give up on him. He's 19 years old. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll probably get it, figure it out. But you're right. It's a mystery. We don't know for sure. Yeah, it's, it's just so strange. Shoot. Should we even attempt to project anybody to get past Lathanos James um, in in a conference final? I mean, he did snap his fingers and make the Toronto Raptors disappear. Why why should it be any difference against Boston? I mean, on the surface, Boston matches up better, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, first of all, I think you could say, you know, Aaron Baines has started his last game in the Eastern Conference playoffs, right? And... Don't you don't believe the Celtics in the power aren't gonna, of aren't gonna, I don't think the Celtics are going to make the same mistake that Toronto did as far as trying to s- start big and have some big guy chase around Kevin Love or try to worry about Kevin Love. So, right. first thing I think I don't think there's anybody better to match up with Love than Al Horford. Two, I think you know they have the size on the wings. You know, I think now you're going to look at you know Jalen Brown probably guarding LeBron. Um, they're going to switch basically everything um, with that lineup. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to err on the side of letting LeBron play one on one and staying at home on Cleveland shooters. And I think they'll do a better job of that than Toronto did. Um, I thought Toronto too often just got caught in no man's land where they weren't doing either. Right. Like they weren't doubling and they weren't uh, close enough on the shooters where the Cavs just sort of picked them apart. It felt like there was times when in that series where Cleveland just got a layup or a three, whichever whichever they wanted. Um, so I do think Boston matches up better. Um, I think Boston will go through some offensive droughts that will struggle. Like they struggled in the two games in Philadelphia right. uh, offensively um, in this last series. So we'll see. I mean, I I, I, I give the Celtics a, uh, a chance. You know, I think they're really good. You know, they, they, they execute well. They take advantage of matchups. I mean, we saw those, those young guys attack. Uh, Reddick and Bellinelli in the Sixers series, they will attack Corver. They will attack, you know, Calderon. They will attack Kevin Love, you yeah. know, as well. And so the Cavs will have things to worry about on that end of the floor as well, even though the Celtics, like I said, their offense can come and go. Bigger miscarriage of justice. Brad Stevens not getting a single vote for Coach of the Year from his peers or the fact that Jason Tatum it's going to be the last rookie standing in the playoffs of significance, and he won't finish in the top two in rookie of the year. Well, I think when you look at both of those cases, <laughs> it feeds the argument that these awards should be given out after the championship trophy is lifted. Yeah. But let me just take them case by case. Mm-hmm. I've had a coach, and I will not name the coach, by the way. I will not name the coach. You go to jail before you name this coach. I will go to I will go to jail. They will throw away the keys before I name this coach. But he was really upset by all the publicity that Brad Stevens gets. Really, he he thought that you know this guy, you know, you know, 
he comes into the league and all of a sudden the media falls in love with him and blah, blah, blah. He's a genius. All that stuff. And let me tell you something. Uh, Jealousy is real. (laughs) It's for real. So, you know, so these coaches, they're established. They didn't go the college route. They paid their dues. They were an assistant coach for, you know, several years, got up there, whatever. You know, that non-vote surprises me, but a one vote would not have surprised me regarding Brad Stevens because I do think there's a lot of professional jealousy about him. Now, look, I mean, I, I heard Isaiah Thomas, and this is a guy who has no irons in the fire. He's, right. not, he's no longer with the Celtics. Right. He raves about Brad Stevens. So th- that tells me something right there. Usually right. if a player leaves and it's a bad breakup, uh, you know, he's going to just, you know, have no obligation to that former organization or whatever, but he likes Brad Stevens. Al Horford, how many coaches Al Horford played for yeah. in Atlanta and all that? He raves about Brad Stevens. So his perspective is important yeah. because he has two or three or four coaches to compare him to. As far as Jason Tatum, I mean, look, I, I you got to give it to Danny Ainge. He saw this before yeah. any of us. Uh, any of us. I didn't expect him to go from averaging, what, 14, 15 in the game in the regular season in a number three type role, supportive role, to all of a sudden when Kyrie leaves to have the wherewithal, the maturity, uh, the guts, the basketball courage to take the ball when the game's on the line. Yeah. Go to the hole, the jump shot. Pulling up. Exactly. So that sort of wisdom, that accelerated growth, uh, that um, the courage to take the shot. And you, and you know, Seiko, you've been around this game long enough. A lot of players say they want that ball. They don't want that Man, they don't want that ball. <laughs> they go hide in the corner or whatever. Oh, you remember You remember game seven, Lakers Celtics? We sat four rows up from the floor. Exactly. And watched the great Kobe Bryant look. Hide. With the, uh, you know, deer, deer in the headlights. Exactly. I mean, it Ron was. Ron Artest of all people. <laughs> so, yeah, even great players don't yep. necessarily step into that fire. Exactly. Immediately. I think it's interesting, though, if we go back and if Danny Ainge was this sure about Jason Tatum, he could have taken him with the number one pick and nobody would have been able to argue with it. He w- And he would probably, I think if he would have been the number one pick and had the season he's had, he would have made it a three-man conversation about rookie of the year, even though his numbers wouldn't have been what Donovan Mitchell's, you know, or, or Simmons' numbers were. He would have been the number one pick in the draft and would have been the best rookie on one of the best teams in the league. It would have made a completely different story arc for his, his rookie season. The the fact is, Shu and, and Sean, he doesn't have to care about it because if he plays in the finals, he's already playing in the conference finals his rookie year, playing a huge role. If he were to make the NBA finals as a rookie and have gone through the Sixers and the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James to get there, you keep that rookie of the year trophy. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll take this experience I had. My first year with the Boston Celtics from Jason Tatum. Wait a minute, that that that, that thing about whether he was the number one pick affecting Rookie of the Year voting—that is nonsense. Like I don't care what guy, what where you guy don't shoot, but a lot of people do. Like I, I just watch the game. Like you know, nobody, yeah, nobody shoot, cares. But you're, like, you're, I don't, you, you forget, shoot, you watch it from a totally different vantage point. That's than, nonsense. No, so. no, you watch it from a totally different vantage point than the average fan. Shoot, uh, you can't compare. I mean, it doesn't. You make can't a compare Shootland to the rest of the world. How these guys have played? Sure, it does. Sure, it does. I don't think it makes a difference. Sure. Does you like? Because I mean, look, yeah, you can have that argument. Then, yeah, you now you have the the Fultz Tatum thing forever and ever. Like, and that's going to be fascinating. And, and true, Lonzo Ball. Like, it doesn't was, matter. We're like, talking about Lonzo Ball for half a season, shoot, because he was a number two pick, and he had all that hype. He he was never realistically in the rookie of the year race after they started right. playing games. Right, but so we talk, but people talk about, about once him. they start playing games, nobody cares when the guy. No, was but picked. people like, talked about Lonzo Ball deep into a season where he was yeah, nowhere talking in, about him, but not talk talking about him, but not in the in the context of the rookie of the year race. Like, sure, they did. Really. You got to get I mean, some more I friends. Sure, you got to get some better, different friends. You got to stop talking to me and all these other basketball types and start talking to regular people. I'm just saying <laughs> that my anybody's judgment, anybody with a with a clear head, their judgment of whether. Jason Tatum is a rookie of the year does not have anything to do with you know with where he whether he's picked first or third like I don't it's not makes doesn't make a difference well I love the fact that we're still debating rookie of the year I know Donovan Mitchell no, there's no debate. I mean, there's no, I mean he third was quarter third. the other night I, mean, I was thinking I, I want my vote back third quarter yeah, that game third. against the Rockets 
But no, because the vote has to do with the regular season. Like, there's nothing. Donovan Mitchell know, was there's... great during the regular season. He had a great regular season. I mean, I season. voted for Dwayne Casey to coach the year. I don't have any. I don't have any. I'm not. I'm not like. Oh man, I wish I had that vote back. I vote. Yeah, I thought he had a fantastic season. And you know what? I'm not man. a Casey hater, by the way. But you sure you don't want to walk that back? Get, get, get <laughs> no, oh, oh, no, on. I don't. I think he had a. The the. I'm giving. I'm allowed. I vote at the on the last week of the regular season, and that's what I'm. I'm given the that you know what I. I'm given 82 games. And I voted from those 82 games, and I feel fine with how I voted from those 82 games. You know, I, I had, I had Brad Stevens and Brett up. Brown in some combination in second and third. So I'm fine. Like, I don't, you know, so, so whether Casey, if Casey lost in the in the playoffs, and yeah, I don't agree with some of the things he did, that doesn't mean that I, I feel bad about how I voted for the regular season. Well, let, let me ask you a question. Now that we're on that topic. The, the Raptors finished, what, four or five games ahead of the Celtics? A healthy, healthy, no-drama Raptors team finished four or five games ahead of the Celtics who didn't have Gordon Hayward and lost Kyrie Irving. And Stevens had to change his approach in midseason and go to young players down the stretch. Yes. That's awfully hard to pull off. And like I said, I love Dwayne Casey. I get what he did with the offense and, and with the bench and all that. But, but it turned out to be the same thing. Yeah, same thing they've been the past few years. Absolutely. And I'm but not we knocking didn't know Casey. That at, we didn't know that on April 13th. No, we didn't. You know, no. no, we didn't. But to say we have no regrets and we don't care about it's like, come on, Street. Not even a little bit. No, I don't. I don't. I'm not. Uh, no, I don't have any regrets. I, I voted based on the regular season, and that's fine. Like I voted James Harden as MVP based on the regular season, and because LeBron has had a fantastic playoffs, that doesn't change my vote based on the regular season. No, I didn't say you, you know? change it, but I'm saying it doesn't make you think and go. Hmm. No. Well, you know what? Speaking of the regular season, I'm just going to keep confining this to the regular season. <laughs> Again, I go back. A healthy... I, I, I had Brad Stevens second or third. I, oh, I, I had Brett Brown there. I think he did a fantastic job. I had a hard time leaving Quinn Snyder off, That's the, yeah, off right. the ballot. That was the one where I like, man, I, I wish I had four, because I think those four guys were, in my mind, the top. And then even D'Antoni was tough to leave off. But yeah, I think I, I valued what Casey's, Casey did with his offense, with his defense, with his rotation. He made a lot of changes, and they re- they all worked out. And until Cleveland, I was in Boston last night, and both Stevens and Brett Brown, the other two guys I've had on my ballot, said the right guy got the award. The award. I now, think it, obviously, they're not going to say the wrong guy got the award, but no. they were pretty adamant about the right guy getting the award. Now, now, so look, I'm I mean, fine with it. The, the, no, no question. All, I mean, you could make a strong case for. All those three, guys. All those guys. Yes. All the, there's no wrong answer. No. No. There really isn't. No. You I live, mean, a, you think, live a righteous life. I think Greg life, Popovich you. is one of the top two coaches in the league. That doesn't mean I I have to vote for him in the top two every year. No. You know? Nobody says you so, have to do anything. Right. But I'm just saying, you live a righteous life where you have no regrets. You have no second thoughts. You are – you seriously, you're I'm a righteous good. man. You – you live a good life. Um, no, I mean, I just, you know, the rules are you base your vote on the regular season. I did that, and I followed the rules, and I'm good, you know? He's giving you a hard time, shoot. If you want to do a, if you want to do a coach of the postseason, then, then let's do it. I'm we'll with talk you. About, we can talk about that. I think the guy who walks home with the, with Larry O'Brien is fine with, with not getting coach of the year if he doesn't get it, and he can go home with a championship. So I think everybody goes home well compensated for, for their efforts. Um I'm not a big predictions guy, as you know. I've lost bragging rights around here too many times to enjoy predictions. But, Sue, let's let's look at this East Finals and project where we think it finishes. How many games, who wins, and why? I'll say Cavs in six. I'm not crazy about making that pick because, you know, I think the Celtics have been the better team over the course of the playoffs. You went from no regrets but, to regrets immediately. On your yeah, prediction. this one, this one, I have just because it, it's you know the Celtics were the better team over the season. The Celtics, I think, have been a slightly better team over the course of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But it's LeBron, and I learned my lesson last year. <laughs> you know, don't that, ever bet against LeBron. Yeah, you, I can't. You know, it's just too tough. Like and learn. You know, and 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 the lesson continued with the with the last round of the playoffs. You know, the first round thought, well, yeah, this is the year. You know, his team is worse. His team is much worse than it's ever been. You know, the East is stronger than it than it was last couple of years. 
and then he goes and sweeps the number one seat. So I think you just want like, to go back like, to the full thing yeah. cafe personally. But yeah, the other thing is, you know, like six of the Cavs' eight wins have come by four points or less. Like they're not that good, but the the guy has just solved the puzzle as far as how to win games, even when his team isn't that good, and and you know when they're not playing great basketball on both ends of the floor. Yeah. Well, Sean, how many games? Who wins and why in the Eastern Conference Finals? You know, if I choose the Cavaliers, it's not a vote for the Cavaliers. It's a vote for LeBron. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and there is a difference. Right. I mean. You don't trust his supporting cast without him. Obviously. I'm not sold. Yes. I I'm agree. not sold. I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. I think more often than not, uh, they're going to drag the guy down. Mm. He has to do too much. The guy's burning, what, 42, 43 minutes a night. Yes. And this is after playing all 82 games in the season and averaging, what, 34 minutes in this, uh, a night in the season. Unbelievable. Having to score, bring the ball up court, rebound, spot the open man, take the tough shots. Uh, you know, he shouldn't have to do that. Right. And as great as he is, he shouldn't have to do that this late in the season. So as I if I pick if I pick the Cavaliers, I'm not picking the Cavaliers. I'm picking LeBron <laughs> in seven, not the Cavaliers. I like that pick. The LeBron in seven. East Conference Finals. LeBron in seven, baby. The Cavs are just along for the ride. I got, I tend to agree with you, Sean. That it's just so hard to to buy into the Cavs sans LeBron, and he's been such an instrumental player. Obviously, everywhere he's ever been, but especially now, like even more so now than his first go round in Cleveland to me he's been so much more impactful and I mean he was a facilitator for a lot of other guys his first time around you know but they were veterans he didn't have this much time in terms of service in the league he didn't have the accomplishments he has now I was thinking about this and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong and my pick is LeBron and whatever and however many games it takes I'm going LeBron in Eastern Conference Finals how if you feel LeBron James how do you come to a free agent decision that doesn't involve you staying in Cleveland when you've had the impact on that franchise, that city, that area, that fan base? I see him walking off the court and dapping up his sons, you know, 40 minutes away from where he grew. You know what I mean? What, what would go through your mind if you had to make a decision about whether or not to stick around there? And look, everywhere you've been, the road to the finals goes. So if you stay in Cleveland— why is there any reason to believe somebody else will overtake you in the East as good as Boston, Philly, and whoever else is ascending might be? If you're LeBron, aren't you powerful enough to stay where you are and dictate what happens going forward? I have a a little bit of a hard time seeing him leaving Cleveland for the second time. Yeah. Um, the only way that I can see him walking out that door, if there's some sort of rift between him and Dan Gilbert. Right. Because really, when you when you really look at it, um, that's the really the only way. If that relationship, and I don't know the extent of the relationship, maybe there is a good one, a bad one, or none. I don't right. know. Right. That's the only way I can see it. I think at this point in his career, what he's going to be thirty four years old next year. After a while, he's got to look at the value of staying connected with uh, Northern Ohio. Right. You know the Cleveland Akron era, all that means, I think, something to him that has a value, that has a value, uh, to have his identity there. Uh, now, look, could he easily go to L.A., go to Philadelphia, uh, all of a sudden change franchises? Sure, he can do that. Yeah. But I just think that um, th- there's just a side of him that just really doesn't want to leave. He did it. He had that little mid-career crisis uh, I don't see him having a late career crisis where he feels, for validation, he needs to go to another franchise and do whatever. Right. Sure. I mean, we're, we're jumping down the road, but <laughs> in July, he's going to ruin your July regardless of what he does, yeah. whether he stays put or goes elsewhere. You, you find it strange that he would be able to pack up and leave there again or no? First of all, I got a, a big dance competition to attend in, in July, and he's not going to ruin that no matter what he does. <laughs> Um, I, I was listening on my train ride back from Boston today. I was listening to uh, to Griff, David Griffin on uh, Simmons podcast. Yeah. 
And he made it. He just said, you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but when he does it, he's going to have a good reason for it. Yeah. And and it's not going to be necessarily something that we thought of before or, or whatever, but he's going to explain it and and it's going to be all up to him and it's going to be about his sort of legacy, you know, the last chapter of his legacy. Right. Um and it it what Griff was saying just made a a ton of sense to me. Um I'm not going to go and try to figure out what it's going to be. Um, I'll just sit back and, yeah. and watch, and and if if he stays, then you know, then we continue on this path. If it if he leaves, then you know, all heck is going to break loose around the league. <laughs> Whole new world. Whole new world. Well, John Schumann, I know you and Steve Ashburner will be uh, between Cleveland and Boston for NBA. dot com covering Eastern Conference Finals. Looking forward to it. Um, and listen, while you're on the road, shoe, when you're eating that good food, and you and Asher out dining on those freaking two hundred dollar Italian dinners. What in the North End and all that good stuff? Or no regrets, baby. Five dollar no bombies in Cleveland. <laughs> no question. Appreciate it, shoe. We'll see you down the road. All right, fellas. Thanks, brother. Yep. Sean, we're going to be doing the Western Conference Finals for NBA.com, so I think it's appropriate that we chop up what we've seen from the Rockets Warriors. We've seen them both in different locations, and we'll see if we can't scratch up Greg Anthony to talk Western Conference Finals with us. So, as I mentioned, Sean, get the East out of the way with John Schumann. Now let's bring in my main man, Greg Anthony of NBA TV TNT, to talk a little Western Conference Finals. Yeah, are you surprised at all <laughs> that we got exactly what we thought we'd get last summer when Chris Paul engineered the trade to Houston? I, I, we are where we thought we'd be now, right? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, Boston has proven to be a very resilient group, and we also... You know, I've always said about the postseason, you know, the regular season kind of shows you who you can be, but the postseason shows you who you are. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that the cream has risen to the crop. The the, the two best teams in the in the West are going to battle out. And, and obviously in the East, with, with Cleveland, with how they kind of responded to that adversity of the first round uh, and what Boston was able to do against, you know, a game, but, but – but inexperienced group in Philly uh, has led us to a a rematch. Final Four? Last year's conference final, yeah. yeah. The right kind of Final Four, um, Sean. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the Warriors and the Rockets, and G.A., Sean and I have been on these series basically from the start of playoffs. Um, Sean has been locked in with the Warriors, really. I've been in Houston so much now. I got, you know, spinners on my tires and, you know, gold fronts. So it's – <laughs> we're looking at these teams and trying to measure them against each other. I was, I'm looking at the Rockets personnel. Darren Moore has talked about his obsession with the Warriors and beating them. Luke, Ma, Luke Mbamute, PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, Chris Paul, James Harden, Clint Capella, who's been a revelation. This is not even including Ryan Anderson, who hasn't done much in this, in this postseason. Eric Gordon off the bench. I'm looking at them and saying if they can find a way to, to use just X amount of players, like a certain number of their personnel, they got a they got a fighting chance here. They got home court advantage. They got the the front runner for for Kia MVP this year in James Harden. They got CP3 inspired because he's he's in a place where he's never been. Why are people why why should we not buy into the Rockets having a chance to win this series? I don't think there's a a strong reason why they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the Warriors have been there and done that, right? Also, the one thing about the Warriors is that uh, they're finally catching their stride. I mean, you know, they sort of sleep, sleepwalk through the season. Right. Imagine doing that and winning over 50 games, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, but, and, he, and now Steph Curry's catching fire. He's getting his second win. You know, he's back from an injury, showing no signs of whatever, limp, rust. He's getting the ball. He's developing that bond with uh, KD right. that he had last year with special. Clay has had some great quarters, great spurts. Draymond averaging a triple double. Draymond's been fantastic, unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, I don't think that any vote against the Rockets is an anti-Rocket okay. vote. I, I think it's, it's more just, about the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, when you look at it, I mean. All those players, those you know, you mentioned everything. Well, they just been there one year. Chris right. Paul, just one year. Right. You know, PJ, Clint Capella, who, by the way, is at least raising the perception that the Rockets could be a big two and a half, maybe yeah. big three, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the Warriors have had that cohesion, that winning approach, that moxie for uh, you know 
a while now, more than the Rockets. And so if you're looking at an edge, a benefit of the doubt vote, it's going to swing more toward the Warriors, wouldn't you think? I would think. G.A., what do you think? I mean, I would think. They are the defending champs. They are the, I guess, the three-time defending Western Conference champs. Right. They've been here and done that. Now, we've never, in my estimation, seen them down in the series. So how they handle it, I think they'd be fine if they were down, you know, one nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Down in the series before, but they never lost that first game. So, I do think that this Houston team, Personnel-wise, they have the ability to match up. Um, and, and I think also we, we talk so much about the stars of Golden State, and their stars are that. But in a lot of ways, what made them special was the depth. Was when they could go to the multiple lineups, go to the bench, and, and that hasn't been on display nearly as much. Right. You know, so it's going to be a chess match. I think this is a very evenly matched series. I don't think people still give – Houston, the kind of credit they deserve for what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's, you know, they didn't just have a good season. They won 65 games. Had the best that's, season in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best seasons anybody's ever had. So I do think they're fine. And I do think the first game, though, will be significant in a lot of ways. And, and I want to just see in terms of matchups, you talked about Capella, you know, what is the, the game plan to contain him when you look at it from Golden State? standpoint because he's the one guy that the stars are the stars but he's a guy that can create a lot of problems for you i mean i mean just get the ball rolling uh no pun intended and see how these how the matchups play out uh regular season gives you a little bit of a, a glimpse but not completely you guys touched upon it you know golden state looks reinvigorated you know they exhaled and kind of gotten the monkey of the regular season off their back because let's face it it's irrelevant in there in the big scheme, you know, nobody's going to be talking about it, especially with what they went through two years ago when it's 73. And I can't. So it's going to be about what they do in this series. And, and listen, they the Rockets will have their attention. I do think they really respect this group because they do, in terms of how they play, they create some issues. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch how this one plays out. Yeah, Western Conference Finals exclusively on TNT. You know, the, the Rockets and the Warriors in a matchup, that I think we all kind of saw coming if they both lived up to their potential. Sean, I am I am curious to see if if you're Steve Kerr and you love that Hamptons five lineup, can you survive a best of seven with Draymond having to deal with Clint Capella? And Draymond plays when he plays the five and he's that small five, he's dragging his man out to the perimeter a lot of times because of the way they play on the offensive end. Can you live with him trying to defend Capella on the other end on those pick and rolls when the Rockets are going to a time and time again with James Harden and Clint Capella trying to make the defense react to that and then taking advantage of it either at the rim or with Harden getting step backs and pull-ups and drives to the basket? I think you can live with it for maybe about 75% of the time. And Mm -hmm. and here's why. Number one, Draymond Green is one of the smartest defenders. So... He's seen that approach before. He knows how to attack it, when to back off. The other thing about Capella is as much as he has grown in terms of being a threat down low, he still doesn't create his own shot. The bottom line is Draymond Green is not going to foul out trying to guard Clint Capella because Capella is a a catch and dunker. Um, Maybe once a game he's going to get the ball and try to do something with it without – Harden creating a shot for him. So I think you can live with it. Uh, it'll be what will be very interesting is what does um, what does what kind of role does Looney have? Right. Because he looked uh, very good in their last series, actually through much of the playoffs. And this is a guy who really was a non-factor big off the bench, right. uh, you know, during the Warriors championship run. But Steve Kerr has found a useful role for him. Uh, he is being he's more comfortable even on the offensive end mm-hmm. with the, on the pick and roll, the lob. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy has been a, a big boost for them off the bench. You're not seeing Zaza. You're not going to see right. Zaza th- right. th- this next series. Uh, and I, I think so how Kerr decides to divvy up the minutes uh, against Capella, how much Draymond Green does he uses? And how much looning does he use? I think that can go a big way in determining 
how they can render him, I wouldn't say ineffective because I do think Capella's come a long way, but how can they reduce the worry right. with this guy? GA, my biggest question about this series, it's not a tactical thing. It's not about the personnel. We know what they are. It's the intangible. And the one thing that, that kind of is looming over this whole thing is who has the real pressure on them? Like, if the Warriors get here and don't win, does it damage their legacy? Does it do something to this mini dynasty that they've put together? Or is it the Rockets spend all this time obsessing over, plotting to dethrone and take down this Warriors team? And does that pressure get to them? You know, do they get in a tight spot down 2-1 and lose home court advantage? Does that end up breaking what they've built? I mean, who's got the the external pressures that are greater on them between the Rockets and the Warriors? I, I think it's equal, honestly, to, mm. to both. Uh, because if you're the, the, the Warriors and you, what they've invested in this team, in, in some respects, their window's not as big as some might think because, remember, they're going to have questions about Draymond and Clay after next season. So right. I think their sense of urgency, and you heard Draymond talk about it, we're trying to win a championship because you don't know what the future is going to hold. Uh, moving forward. Uh, conversely, I think with, with Harden and Paul, similarly, you know, these are guys that, you know, in some respects, obviously Harden's been in the conference final, Paul has not, but, you know, they're coming in as a one seed. And while I don't think it would be a, a failure in terms of what they've accomplished if they don't win the series, it would be if they're not competitive. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think, I think the pressure's there, but I think both of them, I, I don't, Think there's, they feel pressure. I think they look at this both as an opportunity. I think in some respects they're good for each other going into the series because uh, they're, they're, they create anxiety for both. Um, the thing about matchup-wise, like the thing about Capella that, that will be more of a concern is Draymond's greatest strength is his, as a help defender. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the way that Houston plays, it takes some of his help defense away. Because he's if he's guarding Capella, he's got to guard that rim on those rolls, uh, and so that takes him at times out of rotation. Yeah, uh, and so that's why man-to-man defense. Uh, I would assume Clay's going to have Harden a lot. They're going to put Clay in a lot of pick and rolls, as you guys know, and that ability of Capella to find those cracks is going to be critical, and his ability to finish. Uh, it'll be the listen. I think Utah, in a, in a weird way, helps help Houston because they went against great defense. Right. You know, and they, they had to deal with uh, solid rotations and, and, and shot blocking and rim protection. Now they don't have a go bear per se in terms of the Warriors, but you still do have uh, JaVale McGee, who I think will get some stretches right. in this. Uh, I think they're going to need his length and athleticism at times. Uh, and that's, what we still don't know. And, and game one is going to be a bit of a feeling out and trying to figure out how they're going to match up both ways. I don't think Houston's going to change a lot of what they do, mm-hmm. nor, nor will Golden State. I just think it's going to be a, it's going to be a heavyweight battle. And I, I still think that this is a series where the three-point shooting is going to be critical. Yeah, uh, I really feel like the team that shoots it the best or defends it the best got the best chance of winning the series. Because uh, both teams put a tremendous amount of pressure on you. They do it differently. Golden State does it with the pass. Uh, and, and, and Houston does it with the bounce. And, and But both have been equally effective this season when both teams have been healthy. So uh, I'm excited to see how this thing plays out. We don't always get what we want either. We like, we've had some matchups. Remember how the last few years we've been just dying to see the Spurs and the Warriors go at it at full strength? Didn't happen. You know, injury issues just prevented it. From, you know, the Spurs from being on that level. Is this the best team, Sean, that the Warriors will have had to go through in the Western Conference? Or do you look back and say, hey, they were down 3-1 to a Thunder team with Ke- Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. That It couldn't get much tougher than that. I think going into this series, you could certainly make a strong case for Houston being the best team. Uh, first of all, they were specifically built with the Warriors in mind. Um, right. getting P.J. Tucker add some toughness and also uh, a three-point shot from the corner. Obviously, Chris Paul uh, making Capella, uh, you know, a much bigger threat. All these things were done with the Warriors in mind. And, you know, it's not so 
bad to have warriors on the brain, which what the Rockets did, <laughs> right. because what that did was that motivated them. It motivated the front office. It motivated uh, Mike D'Antoni, motivated James Harden, Chris Paul, motivated them to have the type of season they had to get home court advantage specifically for this reason to meet the Warriors in the Western Conference final. Right. Also, it gave them a, a reason to, you know, puff up the ch- their chest and get people on their side. Um, having said all that, obviously, look, I mean, a few years ago, KD's in Oklahoma City, uh, you know, OKC's up 3-1. It's hard to beat that. Yeah. You know, and then you needed Clay to go off in game six. Yeah, to go nuclear, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, but going into this series, you know, uh, you can certainly make the case that the Rockets better defensively than Oklahoma City was, mm-hmm. uh, have just as many stars, uh, probably a little deeper, definitely a better three-point shoot, uh, shooting team. Uh, and I don't think the hype of Warriors-Oklahoma City was nowhere as great as the hype of this series going That's in. That's a good point. I didn't think about that because the Warriors hadn't yet become the Warriors right. The first, you know, when they played them. Um, well, they, they, they had wanted to hear before, though. Remember, and, and also going into that series, OKC wasn't one seed. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like going into the down after four games, you could make that 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 statement. But going into the series, this is the best team that they will have faced. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Just because of how good that Rockets team has been all season long. Yeah. Um, so I, I I do think it is the best team that, that they face. The other thing that I think the collective basketball IQ of this Rockets team is higher than what that OKC team presented, mm-hmm. and I think that's another reason why Kevin Durant left. Yeah. And remember, Kevin Durant wasn't on this Warriors team. <laughs> right. Right. So, so you got to factor all that in as well. Um, but I, I just think it's going to be a heavyweight clash. I, I, I think it's going to be a very competitive series. I do think it's potentially a seven-game series. I mean, I, I, I don't take anything from the Warriors. They are the defending champs and one of the best teams of all time, in right. all fairness. I mean, right. they've won two of the three last championships. They played in the last three. Uh, and But for them giving up a 3-1 lead to the Cavs, they could be going for their fourth consecutive. So, uh, this is going to be fun, man. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I, I, I just think both teams are excited about the, the challenge that's going to be presented because I think there is a tremendous amount of mutual respect from these two organizations. And, and you're right. They did build this team with the Warriors in mind. And, and quite frankly, if you're in the Western Conference and you're not building a team with the Warriors in mind, <laughs> your organization is disservice. Right. You're wasting your time. Wasting your time. GA, we'll go with you first. How many games, who wins, and why in the Western Conference Finals? I, I think it's going to go seven, and I, I'm going to actually go with the Rockets. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to be surprised if the Warriors win it, obviously. Right. I do think that this Rockets team is better than, than we've given them credit for. Mm-hmm. I go back, he went in 65 with all the new personnel. Uh, while this team's only been together a year, they have really – forged an identity of how they're going to play basketball. Uh, they bought into it. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, uh, even listening to him at timeouts, he's preaching defense. I never thought I'd see that. Uh, and I just think that they are – it's going to be a challenge for them, but I think that's where that home court could ultimately make uh, a difference. And, 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 and we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I do think that the Warriors are going to be playing the best basketball that they've played all season. Uh, but I, I just think from a matchup standpoint that the Rockets will be present more challenges than anybody that they face, even including the year they lost it to the Cavs. <laughs> Sean? Well, G.A., you touched upon one thing. You said one thing that um, I think I'm going to use for my basis. You said the Warriors are going to play the best basketball they've played all season. And for a team that is one of the best teams in my lifetime, probably one of the best teams of all time, to play their best basketball. Uh, It'd be hard for me to see someone knocking them off. I will say this about this series. Uh, Obviously, Epic going in on on paper, all that. We know this. If it goes six, that doesn't mean it's a bad series 
particularly if every game's going to be close and down the wire. And I do think every game's going to be close and down the wire. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't see any team getting blown out. Right. I don't see uh, you know long stretches of bad basketball. I don't see any of that. There's just too too much firepower on the floor. But if if it's a six game series or seven games, whatever, and the games are close, I just trust that the Warriors will do what it takes in those final two minutes more than I would trust the Rockets. And again, look, I mean, no disrespect to Houston, Harden, Chris Paul, Mike D'Antoni, Steph Curry with the ball in his hands, I trust. Kevin Durant with the ball in his hands in the late game, I trust. Klay Thompson open for the... For the three point, I trust. So I'm going to say the Warriors in six, and and I would say five out of these six games could go down to the wire. Anybody could win. Right. I'm picking Warriors in six based on the muscle memory you have from going to the last night of the season, three straight years. That if that doesn't provide you an edge, even when you don't have home court advantage, nothing will. Um, the other thing that that strikes me about this as well. The Rockets are stubborn, and it's served them well this season. It's served them well all year that they refuse to get out of their comfort zone and react to whatever you're doing. The adjustments in-game are minimal because they know that if they do what they do best and James Harden and Chris Paul are finding open shooters and attacking a defense and breaking down a defense, sooner or later, one of those guys, Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Somebody, Ariza, somebody's going to knock down open shots, stretch that floor open, and allow them to, you know, to, to do what they do best. My one, my one matchup to watch going both directions, and I didn't think about this initially when I wrote the preview, so forgive me if anybody reads that preview on NBA.com. Um, we focus so much on Capella and the, that lineup. You know, the three, when, when the Rockets have Capella, Chris Paul, and James Harden, they've lost, what, five games all season? with those guys in the lineup, which is preposterous, versus the Warriors-Hamptons 5 lineup. But then I started thinking about it this morning. What what if you could stick Trevor Ariza on Kevin Durant and bother him enough that KD is not the assassin that he was in the finals last year against Cleveland? What if, what if you could do that, a guy with Trevor Ariza's length? He's 6'8". He's one of the best defenders, more underrated defenders in the league, and a guy with tons of experience, championship experience, mind you. What if, and I'm, this is hypotheticals, it's days before the series starts, we can do this. What if you could put him on Kevin Durant and bother Kevin Durant enough that he couldn't annihilate you the way he did the New Orleans Pelicans? Because I, I watched Drew Holiday, who's to me one of the best perimeter defenders in basketball, he tried his best, and and I, and I appreciate the effort that Alvin Gentry went through to try and disrupt Kevin Durant with a guy who's six inches shorter than him, but I knew it was a bad call. It just doesn't work. Maybe Ariza works, and I don't I don't know if it does or not, but maybe it does, and if it does, maybe that's that razor-thin margin between these two teams, Sean and, and G.A., maybe something like that. Kevin Durant averaging 22 points instead of 27 or 29 in this series is what gets the Rockets over the hump. I don't know. I could be crazy. Uh, I might be just delirious from being on the road for all these days. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, these are the two best offensive teams per 100 possessions that have ever played in a conference final, just based on the numbers alone, which is crazy, or at least in the modern era, which is just preposterous. GA, appreciate it, man. Monday night, everybody tune in, TNT, to watch game one of the Western Conference Finals between the Rockets and Warriors. It should be a clash of the Titans. Fire. Epic. It's going to be epic. Yes, sir. All right, G.A., appreciate you. All right, guys. One last thing, Sean, before we get out of here, and we appreciate you joining us this week on the Hangtime Podcast. We got some coaching changes. Big, big news. New York hires David Fisdale. The Charlotte Hornets hire James Borrego off of the staff in San Antonio. J.B. Bickerstaff keeps that Grizzlies job that Fisdale lost and that he was the interim coach for throughout the season. Igor Kokoskov in Phoenix. Very interesting hire. You know, we don't often get a guy who's had his head coaching experience internationally. You know, that's and then comes in and spends as much time as he has here in the NBA. Becomes the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. Hawks, Pistons, Bucks, Magic, all still looking for coaches, head coaches. The Fisdale hire, though, you know, you spent a long time in New York in your career. Where do you see Fisdale's fit with the Knicks and what they're trying to do? 
I think he probably was the best candidate on the market. And I say that not because he won a uh, championship as a head coach or not because he had great success in Memphis, Mm -hmm. not because he had great relationships with all of his players. Obviously, we know he didn't have that with Marcus Saul. Right. But he is used to being around stars. Not that the Knicks have any. Uh, he has learned his lessons, his hard lessons, made his mistakes in Memphis. Right. Uh, and I think he's willing to grow. Now, again, when I look at him with the Knicks, you know, Fizdale is almost secondary. It's more or less, what is management going to do to give him some help? Right. Uh, and this, there are certain situations where the coach is important. If he's going to a winning team, mm-hmm. you don't want him to mess that up. Right. But he's going to the Knicks. There's going to be some hard times, <laughs> you know. So uh, there's so many questions, though. We don't know where they're going to choose in the draft and who they're going to get. We don't know the extent of uh, Porzingis' injury, right. his rehab, his recovery, all those things. We don't know if the Knicks are going to be able to free up some room, maybe try to get rid of Joakim Noah's salary to get some free agents. We won't know these things for a couple of years. Right. So what Fizdale has to do, he has to come in, calm the storms, kind of raise expectations to an extent, because you mm-hmm. don't want to come in and say, hey, we're going to be terrible. Right. But at the same time, temper them. Not that that's going to be hard to do with the Knicks. <laughs> uh, to that, <laughs> hey, you know, we may have to go through some... Some hard times. Some yeah. hard times. Yeah. What he has to do is to bring along some of their uh, young players, you know, make sure Tim Hardaway is on that high plane that he was, Mm -hmm. Uh, find out the mystery of the point guard. What are you going to do there? Um, And he has to, whoever they draft, he's got to bring along those young players and give the Knicks fans some hope that this thing is heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think the two plum jobs that, that, strangely enough, are not filled yet. Are the Pistons and the Bucks? I think you got some pieces in place in Detroit where you could jumpstart that quicker than you could some of these other jobs. And then you got Giannis in Milwaukee. And if you're the Bucks as an organization, you have to get the right coach for Giannis in there at this stage of his career. This is a pivotal time in his development as a superstar. You do not want to set him back by making a coaching hire that doesn't fit, doesn't work. And you have Giannis you know, wasting some of the prime years of his young career before he becomes truly what I think and everybody thinks he'll become, which is one of the, you know, five or six best players in basketball. You need the right coach to get him along to that next stage. And the Bucks are obviously still searching for that. Um, we appreciate everybody hanging out with us this week. We had John Schumann on previewing the Eastern Conference Finals. Greg Anthony joining us to talk Western Conference Finals. My main man, Sean Powell of NBA.com, in the studio here with me, talking about all that, coaching changes, the carousel, the upcoming clash of the Titans we'll see in these Conference Finals and whatever comes after that. Special shout-out before we go to our loyal listener, Ben. I'm not even going to say his last name. He knows he knows we're talking about him because he listens faithfully, and he sent me an email this week, Sean, wanting to know what the hell's going on. Why were we not on last week? We he, we missed him last week. We, we're sorry. We're on the road. Playoffs. Had us spread thin, but we just want to let Ben know we are back and uh, we will not miss again. I'm with you, Ben. I'm with you, pal. (laughs) So appreciate it. If you haven't already, subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts for new episodes all throughout the playoffs. Don't forget to leave a review, and we will see you right here next week on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always, say Kuna Matata.